Hi, I'm Isa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Callista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It is Wednesday, June 7th. Man, this CNN saga. If you haven't seen today's news, Chris Licht, the CEO of CNN, resigned this morning. Not all that much of a surprise, although one prominent podcaster predicted recently on this very show that he might have a few weeks or months to write the ship. I'm looking at myself in the mirror right now. We know the reasons. The CNN staff found Chris distant and aloof, not as supportive as his predecessor, Jeff Zucker. He hadn't executed very well in the year and change that he was there. The CNN morning show was a disaster. The Trump town hall was a laughing stock. Ratings have collapsed. The primetime shows are sometimes beaten by Newsmax, the fringe right-wing channel. And then there was the Atlantic magazine profile last week, which had about 10 questionable moments in it for Chris Lick. Maybe don't give a reporter almost a year's worth of access and invite the reporter to the gym with you at 6 a.m. and say your predecessor, Jeff Zucker, couldn't, quote, do this shit while you're pumping iron. This all happened against the backdrop of the ongoing chaos at Warner Brothers Discovery. We talked a lot about it on this show, the upheaval at the Warner Brothers studio, the challenges for HBO Max, now called Max, killing shows for tax credits, all the cuts and such. And this is where David Zaslav put Chris Licht in charge to bring Republicans back to CNN after an era of polarization. It doesn't seem to be working. Dylan Byers, my puck colleague, has been the lead writer about Chris Licht all the way back to when he was hired. He's done dozens of columns all the way up to this morning, early, when he broke the news that Licht is out. So Dylan's obviously the best guy to come on and talk about how it all went down, why it went down, and what's next for CNN. Is there a future for a down-the-middle cable news network or any news network in linear TV? Should Zasloff and his crew even be trying on CNN? From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Dylan Byers, who, in addition to being my colleague at Puck, has been the lead chronicler of the saga of Chris Licht at CNN. If you haven't seen the news, Chris stepped down. A little bit of a surprise, at least for me. I am on the record on this show saying that I think he had a little bit of runway to fix things, to right the ship. But Dylan, you've been on this from the very beginning. Why is Chris Licht out and why is he out today? 
Well, I would say your your initial prediction was perhaps warranted because, look, David Zaslav had a lot of faith in Chris Licht, I would say, right up until the very end. There was a point two months ago at which he recognized that he should probably never have tasked an executive producer with overseeing the myriad business obligations of CNN. Right. Uh, and they started looking for a chief operating officer to come in. And ultimately, that was that was their own guy, David Levy. But the idea that that Chris just had to go completely, I think, really went into effect with the fallout from the piece in The Atlantic in which the journalist Tim Alberta gave gave Chris like quite a bit of rope with which to hang himself. And <laughs> quite a bit. I mean, this is going to go down as one of just the all time media profiles. Uh, for sure. If you haven't read it, the, I mean, the quote everyone's talking about is Jeff Zucker couldn't do this shit where he invited the reporter to his 6 a.m. workout and like is pumping iron in front of a major magazine reporter and <laughs> apparently doesn't think that the guy's going to use that amazingly inept quote. Like, you just don't say that about your predecessor. But that's one of about 20 things wrong with that piece. He criticized CNN's COVID coverage. He, you know, basically declared himself the second coming. He was rude to people and kind of standoffish at a dinner with staff while he was secretly reading an article that you wrote for Puck on his phone while the rest of his staff is sitting there looking at him like, wait, you're not going to talk to us? A million things wrong with that piece. But even after that piece, I thought he may have had a little bit of a chance. You think that killed it for him? Yeah, I think that killed it for him. And, and again, David Zaslav, usually when he picks someone, he has a lot of conviction in that person and will stand by them despite the criticism. But yes, it just became so overwhelming. And as I've been reporting for a very long time, the criticism was hardly limited to, you know, a small group of of sort of, you know, discontented staff standing around the water cooler. I mean, this really extended throughout the organization, including top level talent. Uh, and certainly once David Levy comes in, you have Anderson Cooper, Jake Tapper, Wolf Blitzer, Aaron Burnett speaking directly to Zaslav and, and basically voicing their own misgivings about Chris Lick's leadership. The idea that he was in over his head for the job, that uh, everything he had done had sort of depleted morale, that they didn't have faith in him, didn't have trust in him. And it just sort of created this uh, very untenable situation whereby if David was going to be standing behind Chris Licht, then he was going to be working against the grain of the journalists who make CNN happen. And I think that I, I think that's what forced them to move a little bit faster. And then, you know, look, as, as recently as the beginning of this week, there was this sense that he was going to come down from the corporate floor. He was going to get back on the newsroom. He was going to roll up his sleeves uh, and, and do the work of programming and producing. He, he went to Iowa on Sunday night. Totally. But it was, again, it was just that overwhelming sense that the staff was not on board with that plan. And I started, I basically did a lot of reporting over the, overnight, knowing that this was coming down the pipeline. And by the time I, I got to Warner Brothers Discovery to basically let them know what I was doing, even then, I don't think Chris Licht had been informed that this was what was going to happen. Uh, and then finally, of course, they announced it on their daily 9 a.m. editorial call. Wait, so you broke the news to Licht? My understanding is that my effort to reach out to Warner Brothers Discovery for comment and confirmation mm -hmm. uh, set set the wheels in motion by which they notified Chris 
Oof. Uh, ahead of that 9 a.m. meeting. That's a tough call. Hey, you're fired. And by the way, your chief chronicler of all the problems over the past year is breaking the news in 10 minutes. Yeah, it, it's look, I, I think everything about the the sort of handling from the leadership over the last 13 months has, has I, I think we can safely say at this point, not gone according to plan. I think they blame some of that on the PR. Both of the the top PR folks, Chris Karate and, and Matt Dornick, were uh, were ousted today as well. Certainly, all of of Chris Lake's handpicked select uh, direct reports also either ousted or will be ousted very shortly. But of course, the real problem here, as I think, as my reporting and and certainly the Atlantic report made clear, I think the real problem here was was Chris Licht himself. And now that that Chris Licht is gone. I do think attention is going to turn toward David Zaslav, who I think people now see was probably ill-advised in putting Chris Licht in that position in the beginning and are now going to be looking to see what he's going to do to sort of steady the ship. Yeah, that's the second day story here, because the Zaslav regime at Warner Discovery has recently been plagued by a lot of problems. Some of them just optics, you know, the dumb can party and putting Graydon Carter in charge of redoing the Warner Brothers commissary when... They're doing layoffs and purging shows from their streaming service, a lot of that stuff. But the big picture financials have not really worked out so far. This guy was supposedly coming in to right the ship and take the company from the awful depths of the pandemic and the decision to put all the movies on HBO Max to bringing the stock price up and investing in movies. So far, hasn't worked out, although I think a lot of these media companies are in the same spot. But this is a very big misstep for Zaslav. He not only eyed Chris Licht from the beginning, didn't even interview anyone else when there were probably many other candidates that could have been great for this job, decided to put someone with no big corporate experience. He was the executive producer of Colbert and had run Morning Joe and CBS shows into this big job. And like you said, it wasn't just the... Zucker people that were complaining because at every job, when you come in, there's going to be people that are loyal to the other guy. And we've seen some reporting this past week about how Zucker was fanning those flames from afar. But this went beyond that. And it got more to the strategy that they are putting in place. And I want to talk a little bit about that, because how much of this is just a failure of the overall Zaslav and his board member John Malone strategy of turning CNN from what had essentially become an advocacy network for anti-Trump voices during the Trump years into this fantasy of a down the middle, just the facts, only going to present you with the news network and whether that worked or not. I don't believe it worked. and I don't think that audience is there. But what do you think that that element of this was? Well, there's some disagreement about this, but, but depending on who you talk to in the organization, for some journalists at CNN don't buy into that mission at all. They they think this notion that you can create this sort of, you know, view from the center, broad swath of the American electorate programming that sort of that sort of appeals to everyone. They don't believe that that works in this current environment when media has become so uh, sort of diffuse and people get their news from all sorts of different outlets. And that also just that that in, in, in the Trump era, that sort of dichotomy, like both sides dichotomy has just become uh, irrelevant. I think on the other hand, there are a lot of people at the organization who do sort of believe in that thesis 
and just take issue with the execution, right? At the end of the day, CNN is a news organization. It is also a television network, and you have to create good programming. You have to create compelling programming. And if the programming you're doing, no matter the editorial bent, is if the ratings are going down and nobody's interested in what you're selling, then you don't have a product. And that becomes something that staff from the anchors to the correspondents, the rank and file have a hard time getting excited about. At the same time, one thing I would say is part of the issue here, which which I've brought up a lot over the last year, but I think really needs to be emphasized. Chris Licht, at the direction of David Zaslov, was really tinkering around with a declining, you know, a declining linear product and not really setting CNN up for a sort of post-linear digital future. There was no strategy for CNN's future that was articulated. It was sort of taking a talent from primetime and moving them to the mornings, taking a talent from the afternoons and trying them out in primetime. That is not going to save CNN in a world where linear is in inexorable decline. Well, first thing they did was kill CNN+. Plus. Exactly. And look, a lot of people, uh, you know, CNN Plus was a joke in the eyes of a lot of people from a programming perspective. Say what you will about it. It was directionally right in terms of understanding that CNN was going to need some sort of lifeboat to carry it into that post to that post linear world. And without an investment in CNN Plus, without an investment in projects like CNN Films, without a real investment or strategy in the website, which has an incredibly wide audience around the world, but is really, you know, like painful to look at. I think that all of those CNN staffers from the moment Warner Brothers Discovery took over felt like they did, there was no plan in place for the future. And that's the backdrop against which this sort of decline in ratings, decline in morale becomes just sort of really disheartening. And a lot of the stuff that Licht was supposed to be good at, like the morning show, I mean, this is a guy who well, yeah, invented Morning Joe and was a big proponent of Gail King at CBS This Mornings. He comes in and the Don Lemon morning show on CNN was a total disaster, ended up firing him. The one thing I've pointed out in my piece is that, one, he was totally unqualified to be a chief executive and chairman of a multi-platform global news organization. But even the one thing that he was ostensibly good at, which was making good television, he didn't execute on that. Everything he touched seemed to be a disaster. And the only thing that that was arguably a success was like, you know, tweaking the aesthetics of of daytime programming, which almost nobody watches. And and so I guess the question is, was he just not capable of, of creating good programming in the CNN space? Was he too distracted by the obligations of being a chief executive? Or I think a fair thesis to entertain was, was he perhaps overrated from the jump? Was he really responsible for the success of Morning Joe or was that Joe Scarborough? Yes, I I found his CBS This Morning to be more compelling than any other iteration of CBS This Morning, but it never got out of third place. It's not like it ever competed with Today or Good Morning America. And then with Stephen Colbert, is that, you know, is the success of that that we enter the Trump era and and Jimmy Fallon sort of goes astray and, and Colbert is a unique talent? Yeah, Colbert leaned into the politics and that is what ultimately raised that boat during the Trump years. And Chris Lick was there for that and was similar to his relationship with Zaslav. He was the Stephen whisperer. He was the one that everybody knew they had to go through to get to Stephen. And he very well managed that relationship. I think a lot of people that worked on Colbert 
didn't love him at the time, similar to the relationship he had with people at CNN, but it was doing well. So they yes. were all happy that it was doing well. The problem at CNN is that it wasn't doing well. The ratings collapsed and they questioned whether the strategy, the overall strategy was working. And I know that there are problems across the board in television news. The ratings at Fox have cratered since Tucker Carlson left. Even the ratings at MSNBC are down a little bit. It's not like this is a growth business, but CNN losing to Newsmax in prime time, that can't happen. Right. The, the decline is industry-wide. He accelerated that decline and exacerbated the problems um, in, in pretty glorious ways. And, and, and you know, I think the, the thread here is sort of this sense of hubris. I mean, fr from Chris Licht on up to David Zaslav, there is this sense that there was such conviction in what they were doing. And Chris seemed to believe that he could fill out that that CEO and chairman role. And in a, same way, a similar way, I think, uh, you know, I'm not sure if maybe David Zaslav misjudged just how complex a business CNN is. And so I, I think everyone got into this a little bit in over their head. Now, you know, they're aiming for this reset and, and their second chance to try and do this the right way. That, I think, is the real issue here, is that is CNN salvageable? Because in all of the criticism of Licht and in all of the criticism of Zaslav and the strategy, no one is really saying what the right path forward is. Like, what is the answer for CNN? Is it to go back to the Zucker years and just lean into covering the Trump outrage all the time? People look at the way that CNN handled this Trump town hall that they did. And I think it was a mistake the way they did it. But I think it was the right move to do it in the first place. Trump's the Republican frontrunner. You got to do a town hall with him. But to stock the pond with a bunch of Trump supporters and to put your rising star anchor in the position where she's fighting not just with the subject of her interview, but with the audience that's cheerleading for him after everything he says, like that is a recipe for not just bad television, but for sabotaging your own person. So it's the execution there that mattered. But is there a way for CNN to continue with this strategy just without Chris Lick? Well, yeah, I mean, what I would fundamentally say is fundamentally say is have your politics, whether you want to be confrontational with Trump, as in the Zucker years, or you want to try and go like straight down the middle and entertain Republican and Democratic viewpoints. Fine. But don't let that be your North Star. Your North Star, again, should be making really good television. If you at least want to ride out the the decline of linear television, like try to do the best you can in terms of creating compelling programming that people want to watch. I mean, I think that was Jeff Zucker's strength. Say, say what you will about the editorial posture. He made television that people either love to watch or love to hate watch, but he buoyed the ratings somewhat and obviously got a big, big, uh, big boost from Trump as well. I think at, at a broader level, hopefully the strategy is thinking a lot less about the linear product and thinking a lot more about how to make CNN a fixture in people's lives beyond the traditional television screen. And, you know, I always think about the New York Times as this model of something that went from being something that people just spent seven minutes with in terms of just getting their news 
to something that people spent a lot of time with because it had not only great journalism and breaking news, but it also had great podcasts. And of course, it had all these ancillary products. Can CNN do something to make itself more of a fixture in people's lives and even a sort of lifestyle brand for people? It is a very steep uphill climb in this political climate. It is a very steep uphill climb in this sort of media climate when, again, people have so many niche uh, and varied ways of getting their news. But it is an extremely strong brand, despite everything that has happened to it over the last 10 years. And I do think with the right people in place, it still has that potential to make it to the other side of this moment in history. And that requires investment. And one yeah, discovery which is... <laughs> has looked to CNN to cut costs. They have not invested. They killed the CNN Films division and they killed CNN Plus and they've made a series of layoffs. So I just don't see Zasloff and his team when they're facing such financial headwinds saying, you know what, let's plan for the next 10 years of CNN. This company will likely be sold soon. And mm -hmm. I don't think they like the bottom line. They're looking at the revenue and it's gone from over a billion a year to what is it, less than 750 now? And yeah. the value of the asset has significantly dropped under the Zaslav tenure. So that's not good for their bottom line. But I just don't see them putting the resources in to invest in the kinds of ancillary content that might bring new people to CNN. Yeah, that's right. I don't think they are invested in that. I think they are trying to manage this thing in as cost effective a way as they can. You know, my feeling was all, you know, when, when when the Discovery guys would go after the previous administration and say that they were, you know, like recklessly spending money or whatnot, you know, my view is always, well, if you're spending more money, but you're making more money, that seems to me to be <laughs> a better calculus than spending less money and making less money. But, um, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a literature major. So what do I know? <laughs> so where do they go from here? Does Zucker come back? That at this moment seems highly unlikely. To me, I do think what will happen here, if you look at the interim leadership that's in place, it is made up with the exception of, of David Levy running the business side of things. On the editorial and programming and news gathering side, everyone is, you know, a former Zucker person who has survived in the Licht administration. And I think that this sort of war that's happened between the discovery folks on the one side and the aggrieved Zucker folks on the other side, I, I imagine that that will be repaired and perhaps they will heed the advice of the guy who actually, you know, ran this thing and made more than a billion dollars in profit every year, particularly as they head into another Trump-dominated election cycle. But does he come back in a formal way? I, I doubt it. I think what will happen is they will actually conduct the, the search for a capable CEO and try to come up with someone who is capable of, of running a 24-hour global news network. I think the question is, is after all the damage that has been done, what about David I don't, Rhodes? I don't yet know who that person is. David Rhodes, who used to run CBS, he's over at Sky now, I believe. I thought he was a potential for Fox News. Yeah, look, I, I think what happens, and this happened again back when Zucker was ousted, is there are these sort of familiar names that crop up, right? There's there's David Rhodes, there's Ben Sherwood, who used to run ABC News. And it's like, maybe, but again, do those guys want to do this? And how are you thinking about the future? Because it really is not just a television company, right? It's potentially so much more than that.
Well, one thing that the Trump town hall did is it got all these other Republican contenders to want to do town halls on CNN. So that might be a legacy there. They kind of need to be in that conversation. And Republicans under Zucker basically boycotted CNN at one point. Yeah, no, that's right. I, they, they did. And again, this goes back to sort of this in, this very weird political time that we're living in. You know, CNN got so much heat for the way that it turned itself into sort of like the the network for the for the resistance against Trump. But I think after that town hall, we are dealing with this sort of question, which is how do you cover presidential candidates who, you know, Chris Licht always had this line, which I found so grating and annoying and, and desperately in need of being workshopped about how he was willing to have people on the network who liked rain and who didn't like rain, but he wouldn't have people on the network who said it wasn't raining when it was. And the truth except, is, except is that, Trump, of course, except Trump. And that's the thing. If you're, <laughs> if you're covering American politics in this day and age in 2023, 2024, there's no way to do that. How do you program around people who openly go to war with the media, who refuse to acknowledge the truth? That is the great challenge for not just whoever leads CNN. It's the challenge for the entire thesis that Discovery has for its news asset. So where does Chris Licht go from here? Uh, probably to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> 6 a.m. <laughs> He's going to get he's going to get down to fighting shape. Here's what here's what I'll say. The, the truth is, this this is the moment I recognize that I have covered him um, pretty frequently over the course of the last year and change. And, and that a lot of that coverage has channeled the criticisms of his leadership. I obviously do not wish him ill. I take no joy whatsoever in, in his downfall. No, he's a nice guy. Actually, we we are friendly. We have lunch when he's in L.A. Like, he's a very nice guy. I don't want to crap on him at all. Right. But it just seems like this was a bad fit. It was a bad fit. And what I would say is that the implosion was so sort of spectacular and so public and so prolonged and became such a national news story that it is very hard for me to see exactly what he does next. But um, I don't see the path for him back in media. I don't see how he goes back to Colbert or goes back to producing a morning show. I think he'll be a producer. I think you he'll think do. He will? Yeah, he'll produce some show and or whether or he'll start a company and produce news oriented stuff or come on as a struggling daytime show. Like when Zucker left NBC the first time, he did Katie Couric's show right, right, for a right. while. It'll be something like that where he'll kind of prove himself again and stay in the mix and then some job will open up and he'll throw his hat in the ring. Yeah, maybe. And and look, despite what Fitzgerald said, there are second act and third and fourth acts in American life. But um, I, I think he's going to be in the wilderness for a little while. Jeff Zucker couldn't do this shit. That is gonna, <laughs> that'll be the legacy here. The greatest quote of all time. All right. Thank you, Dylan. Appreciate you coming on. OK, thanks, man. All right. We're back with the call sheet. Craig, have you been following the latest developments in the ongoing Hollywood labor wars? Yes, the DGA has tentatively struck a deal first. Yes, they did a deal this past week. I mentioned it on Monday's show, but we didn't really talk about it. The leadership of the DGA approved that tentative deal, and now it is going to the membership, the 20,000 or so members of the DGA, to approve their deal with the studios. And there has been some chatter, especially on social media, from prominent directors saying that they are not 
going to vote for this deal because they see it as a capitulation to the studios. They did not get the language that many wanted on transparency, opening up data to get a success metric for how their shows are judged and how they are paid. They did not get more forceful language on AI. Increases in wages are fine. You know, they got 5% in the first year, but not really keeping up with inflation. So there's a lot of weaknesses in this deal. But my prediction today is that despite all the grumbling, the directors will approve this contract and will settle with the studios. Interesting. Why? And why would the board approve a deal that its members did not agree with? Well, no, first of all, the board is highly invested in this deal because members of the negotiating committee negotiated this deal and they wouldn't have agreed to the tentative settlement if the leadership wasn't on board with it. So it doesn't surprise me that the leadership is approving it. It's the rank and file members. You know, this is the broad group of everyone from Christopher Nolan all the way down to, you know, a dude who's directed a Hallmark movie once. So that's where you get into the question of rank and file supporting this deal that they don't see as giving them everything they want because people complain and they say, that they got into this, they threatened in this negotiation to strike over these specific issues that were not resolved in their favor. So why should they approve it is the argument. And you say they will. I say they will. I think that when push comes to shove, enough of these directors are going to say, you know what, this is good. We got a lot of the things. We got a foreign residual increase, which is a big deal as a lot of these streaming services yeah, but if, if, if SAG is 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 likely going to strike and the WGA is already striking, then why wouldn't they just continue to fight and team up with the other two guilds and, and get a better deal for themselves? That is the argument, but the directors don't operate that way. They have always been more studio-friendly than the other guilds, especially the writers. And we don't know if the actors are going to strike. They've given a strike authorization to the guild leadership, you know, overwhelmingly, 98%, to threaten that. But we don't know if the actors are going to strike. I think there's a big chance that they will. But the directors can't take that as a given, I don't think. They are looking at their own interests and what their deal is. And I think they feel that the leadership level, and I think for most people, you know, social media, I, I hate to break this to you. Social media is not the real world. I know we get consumed oh. by all this stuff. <laughs> but the overall feeling I am getting from the directors is that this is a decent deal. And they're not going to get that much more if they strike with the other three or with the other two guilds. So I think it'll be close, perhaps, but I think they will approve this deal. Well, I'm excited to follow it on social media and social media only. <laughs> Shocker. You'll see the outraged people that are not supportive of this deal. All right. That is the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Dylan Byers. I want to thank producer Kurt Kolbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez. And I want to thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. 